0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. I want to talk about honest discourse today. Honest discourse or honest discussion. And I want to begin with this individual uh, in the Bible named Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, this is what it says about him. that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules. In Israel. So here was a man that is serious, uh, was serious about knowing God and teaching others, uh, that he had determined this inwardly. And I think Ezra here is put before us as an example. God singles him out as a model student, a model reader, um, and doer of God's word. He wasn't just content to let this be stored up in his mind. And heart no he he wanted to do something about it the second part of that verse says and that reminds me of James 121 a passage that we often look to to remind us about the importance of applying God's Word to our own lives right and James says don't be merely hearers but doers of the Word of God don't be merely hearers who delude themselves uh, and that's and it remains an important lesson for us today and as we think about honest discourse or honest discussion, and that um, I, I think that's important to keep in mind. That all Bible knowledge has practical ends in mind. So it's not just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, or for showing off, or to be an exhibitionist. You know, the the point of honest Bible study and discussion and discourse is to ultimately apply it to ourselves, then teach it to others. Right, as we see in Ezra here. And I think having honest discourse about really anything has become a problem in the country in which i live in the u.s i know we have lots of listeners from around the world and i appreciate that but one of the things that sparked the idea for this study is just what i observe in you know the specifically the way our news media outlets are run you know we In our country, at least we talk about left-wing media versus right-wing media or left-wing news outlets versus right-wing. And so every story has that kind of skew or bent depending on who's telling it, right? There's bias on both sides. And I think it's, you know, I, I don't have any statistics to support this, but just my feeling and my observation is, and I can certainly speak for myself, is that it's frustrating because You know, I don't really, I'm not really looking for any spin. I just want to know what the truth is. What's the truth, regardless of whether it's from the right or left, what is really, what is really going on? What is, what is the reality of the situation? So that thought that I had and the observations that I made uh, about what's going on kind of prompted this study about just simple honesty in, in our discussions not just about politics, but any and everything. And that's this is really ultimately a spiritual issue. It's not just a, uh, you know, a political leaning or a political way of thinking. That's the problem with discourse. You know, fundamentally dishonesty is sinful and it's a spiritual issue. So if we're going to get that, you know, if, we, if we're frustrated in what we see and the exchanges between individuals or, you know, as I mentioned specifically, the media, uh frustrated by you know the the bias and just and sometimes just outright denying uh, what what facts are and frustrated by just a lack of pursuit and interest in the genuine truth regardless of who it burns down or who it favors uh, the the way to combat that effectively is first of all as it, individuals have a desire for truth in regard to all things uh, and then you know use our influence uh to try to engender that in, in others. And so, of, of course, I want to think in terms of spiritual truth in reality, which is the most important, and that in turn will affect every other facet of life and every other relationship and how we talk to our spouse and how we talk to our kids and coworkers and how we treat you know strangers that we come into contact with. And and you know, and that is the way ultimately to, I, I think, most effectively combat dishonesty. Uh, you you defeat sin by exposing what it is through the word of god and then resolving within yourselves each of us resolving within ourselves to be satisfied with nothing but the truth and and resolve within ourselves to to be honest first with ourselves and then with everybody else and so i think there's a lot to be learned here from ezra's example as a teacher in of truth uh, but also as as an example of a man who desired it to begin with He he was after it. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know what the law of the Lord was. And that's where we're going to be spending most of our time. We're going to be looking at other examples, but uh, this exchange in the Old Testament where we see Ezra and Nehemiah specifically, if you go forward one book to Nehemiah chapter 8, and you'll find here where Ezra is fulfilling what exactly he wanted to do, what we just read about in Ezra chapter 7 and verse, verse 10 that he's gathering all the people together and he wants to read the law. He's going to read the law to them. It says in verse one, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So we have a teacher, we have an audience and we see, we already know that Ezra, of course, esteems the word of God and loves the word of God and wants to know the word of God and teach it to others. And that, that desire is is put before the people, right? So he's wielding his influence. Y'all get together, come here, we're gonna read the book. But it's also it's also what the people want. It's also what the people want. And so I think therein is a lesson for us about honest discourse is that both sides, whoever's involved, both have to have those that that desire and both have to have pure motives. Sometimes we can trip ourselves up uh, you know, when teaching others because we're trying to think of creative or clever ways to persuade them when really all the persuading power we need is in the Word. And what we have to worry about primarily is our, our own motives, and that's what we should be you know, should be examining is, okay, am I coming into this with pure motives or am I just trying to... Remember, Bible knowledge has practical ends inside. It's not about showing off or trying to prove that you're creative and clever or win it, or even winning a debate. It's just about establishing. Okay, what is, what is the truth, and th- this is what the people expected. They were they were ready to listen and they desired the word. They weren't interested in having their ears tickled. To use Paul's words, in Second Timothy, four verses two and three. Remember when Paul is writing there, he's he's warning Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and who's preaching there, um, that he that there's going to be a time that comes when. You're going to see people just no longer put up with what the truth is. And he says, he, he tells them there in, in chapter 4 to preach the word, verse 2, and to be ready in season and out of season and to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will want to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering often into myths but as for you always be sober, sober minded enduring suffering do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry and that that's such a a huge commentary i think on so many things wherein you have folks who just who are in these echo chambers and they want to stay in their they just want to stay in their echo chambers they want people to validate them and to coddle them and console them and you know don't tell me what the truth is especially when the truth is going to offend me or convict me or expose me. I don't want to hear it. That's not going to tickle my ears to use again Paul's expression. So that's not that's not who we want to be, right? We we want to just whatever the truth is, no matter how much it's going to hurt or what it's going to cost me, I need to I need to know what it is because there's too much at stake spiritually and and that of course that's going to bleed out into every other facet and relationship of my life. Uh, even to the to the extent that it has national implications, right? And uh, I, again, I'm persuaded that's what we see playing out before our very eyes. So this is the audience we should be. We want to be the ones who are eager to hear the Word, like we see those examples in Nehemiah 8 and places like Acts 17, being held up by the Holy Spirit as those who, uh, who are hungering and seeking the word and eager to receive it with uh with diligence. Um and secondly Ezra and others were explaining the word. So you know it it can't stop with desire obviously we we know that we gotta we gotta move forward. So let's go back to Nehemiah chapter eight and just keep reading there for a few more verses. So we know Ezra gathers the people he has the law that's what the people want that's what he wants And so verse 2, he brings the law before the assembly, men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women of those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Uh, So that's, that's tremendous. I don't know specifically... You know what Ezra was reading if he just read Deuteronomy, if he's reading Genesis through Deuteronomy, but he's reading a long time, from noon until midday. So he's reading for hours. And so we don't have a whole lot of details about what the process entailed. But Ezra's assisting the people, the people are listening, Ezra's explaining, uh, to to give the sense. If you drop down to verse eight, there's a so Ezra, you know, just to be clear, he's not acting alone. There's several other individuals who are with him who are Um, reading and explaining uh, verses five and six. And Ezra blesses the Lord, the great God, and the people answer, amen. And they bow their heads and they worship with their faces to the ground. And then you get several other individuals named. And it says, they help the people to understand the law at the end of verse seven, while the people remain in their places. And they read from the book from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people could understand the reading. Right, so now we see, the effort being made here that there's some assistance from from Ezra and these other these other guys explaining the word essentially and giving the sense and you see also the humility of the people as they're they're bowing down and they're they're worshiping here and I think this is what Philip did for the Ethiopian you know if I'm thinking of a New Testament parallel of what Ezra and these other guys are doing for the the people here in this context, in Acts chapter eight, remember when Philip, the evangelist, is uh, in in Jerusalem, and there's you know tons of Jews from all over the world there at that particular time of year, the, around the time of Pentecost, and Philip is um, he finds this Ethiopian. Uh, he's a he's a treasurer. He's a, a you know an official within the Ethiopian government, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah, in Acts chapter eight, and Philip finds him and begins to explain to him uh, what it means. that The passage says that beginning with that text, Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian. And when when you look at that exchange between those individuals, again, you see Philip, of course, wanting to do that and desiring that, and he himself being a student of truth and a follower of Christ. And then the Ethiopian also, at this point, still ignorant of, of Jesus until Philip uh, teaches him. you you still see that same hunger for truth. He says, who does the prophet speak of? As he's reading Isaiah 53, who does the prophet speak of himself or some other man, right? So the the Ethiopian wants to know. He has no knowledge of Jesus. He uh, He wants to know what the fulfillment of this prophecy is, and he simply lacked opportunity to see it and make the proper application, and that's where Philip comes in. So you have this beautiful marriage of student and teacher, both having a common desire for truth and then arriving at it um, together, helping each other get the sense or the, the understanding, Work, working together to to arrive at, at truth. So like Ezra, Philip found somebody who not only respected the word, but was attentive to it. In verse three is what the, new, the, I'm reading from the ESV today, actually. In Nehemiah 8 and verse three, it says that the ears of the people were attentive, attentive to the law. And so they're, um, they're listening reverently, just as I'm sure the Ethiopian did, and and remember the end, the culmination, the end of that story, that exchange in Acts chapter eight is the Ethiopian obeys, right? So there we see that again, that practical application that's in view there. It's not just truth for the sake of truth and arriving at it and just so we can feel better about ourselves. No, there's there was something that needed to be done. Uh, there was a response that had to be re- be made to the truth right but that requires first humility and reverence and a willingness to be attentive and respectful as we see in verses 5 and 6 and 9 as these people they're taking this seriously and how we listen i think is indicative of our devotion to god and to his truth and it's <clears throat> i think it's just as indicative of of our love for him and desire for truth uh, as in the way that we sing or in, in that we pray. Like we know that those are expressions of faith and, you know, we don't, we don't approach, or we sh- at least we shouldn't approach those acts of worship lackadaisically or, uh, you know, half heartedly not attentive in, you know, the things that we see happening here in this, this context. And so I think this is a good point for self-examination. You know, if, if I'm really genuinely interested in truth and having an honest discourse and discussion uh, do I do I approach Bible study half-heartedly, or do I approach conversations about spiritual things half-heartedly, or am I concentrating on the words that I'm saying and the words of Scripture? Am I being focused? Am I uh, being purposeful? Or, am I, or, or do I have some ulterior motive? Uh, and that's something we have to continue continually ask ourselves. Um, these individuals were not dull of hearing. That's an expression that Scripture uses of folks who are what I just described, who are lackadaisical or who are slow. Jesus talked about individuals who are slow to listen or slow to to believe in Luke 24. Um and so part of it is I think, you know, being lazy, maybe that's too strong of a word, or just kind of being a passive listener. So maybe you're there, you're physically present for the, the discussion, but you're just kind of passively being a participant. You're not really active and discerning even if you're on the receiving end of the moment, maybe you're listening to uh, as may, you know, put yourself in the Ethiopian shoes and you listen to Philip talk for however long it was or Ezra or, you know, the Bible class teacher or the preacher during the sermon. And it's a really, it's a really one-sided exchange, at least for a long time. And you'll, you know, not every format offers opportunities for immediate feedback right then. But even if I am just listening, even, even if I am, you know, not giving immediate uh, uh, feedback, am, I can still and should be still. I can still be and still should be discerning and actively engaged in my mind as I'm listening to to the truth. And you know, I mentioned Acts 17 earlier. I think uh, that that's a, this is another place to to mention it again, verse 11. Those Bereans uh, in in Berea when Paul leaves Thessalonica and he comes there, he's been chased out of town. And he comes and he finds these Jews in Berea, whom the Holy Spirit says are noble-minded because they're eager to receive the the word, and they're comparing what Paul is saying to the truth. Right? Paul didn't have a New Testament open before him. He wrote a good he wrote a good bit of the New Testament, but it didn't exist in in Paul's time. He's you know when he's preaching from the Scriptures, he's preaching from the Old Testament, and he's proving like Philip did that Jesus is is the Christ, and of course. The Holy Spirit empowered him to perform miracles to show individuals the proof of the origin of of his message, uh, that it was in fact from from God. But certainly the the scriptures that Paul used um, also were just as powerful, if not more of more powerful of a witness, according to Luke sixteen. So there, whether we're talking about Berea or the Ethiopian or these individuals in in Nehemiah, the Israelites here coming back from the exile you see the common thread of reverence that they have for God and truth. And that reverence prepares them to, uh, to apply the word, which is what we go on to read here in Nehemiah chapter 8. So Nehemiah is the governor at this time, Ezra is the priest and scribe, and the Levites are teaching the people, and they say, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Okay, so, you know, so we're moving forward from, you know, proper attitude, listening, receiving the word reverently. And now it's time uh, to put it in the practice. And that's what we see here. And the people are having a very, excuse me, emotional response to uh, what they're hearing, what they're hearing as well. You know, Ezra and company, they weren't afraid to get specific and call the people to action as a result of what they were saying right i mean you as you we talk about reading the audience and we read each other as we're as we're having discussion okay how how is the how am i responding to the message how is this individual responding to the message uh, the 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 truth you know the people in acts chapter 2 also had a very emotional response because they understood the gospel that peter was preaching and they knew that they were not okay. They they that their lives were not in line with what the truth was about Jesus specifically. And so, the, the verse thirty seven says they were cut to the heart by the things that Peter was saying, and they wanted to do something about it. And so that's then the very next question that they ask: What are we going to do? And you see the very same thing happening here in Nehemiah chapter eight, right? That the people are upset and the, and they're having to be consoled, but the way that they're consoled is not in like in this artificial, you know, just you know, just feel better. It's okay, you know, pat on the head type of way. Another priest, and Nehemiah and Ezra say you go. Go do this and go do X and go do Y and Y and Z. Um it was a call to action and there there is um consoling in, in doing that. That's how the the um the conviction is I don't want to say uh, cured, but the appropriate response and you know, the the in Acts chapter 2 when those people were cut to the heart and they wanted to know what to do, again Peter doesn't just artificially console them, the very next thing he says is okay, you need to repent and you need to be baptized every single one of you for the forgiveness of sins then you will have the gift of the Holy Spirit which is salvation that he's been preaching to them through Jesus Christ right, so those people were ready to to act, and they understood they needed to act, just like here in, in Nehemiah chapter eight. And so the the consolation and the peace and the comfort is found in obeying the truth, not you know just saying, okay, I know I know the truth, and I should feel better about it now. Uh, no, when we know that our lives are not being lived in accordance with the truth, when then there's it's time for change, and and that's you know that that has to happen continually. Uh, But it won't if there's not a continual desire and a continual willingness to listen to truth and to seek it out. You know, as as teachers and students, everybody should be a student of the Word, right? And sometimes we're in the teaching role or the student role, or those go back and forth in the same conversation. Uh, So you know, wherever we are, we want to we want to read the truth and explain the truth and apply the truth for ourselves as we're studying with one another and as we're talking about these things. So we're, you know, it's continually checking our motives and evaluating ourselves as we are investigating the truth and, and learning the truth. Only the gospel has the power to convict and save people and engender and, and faith. Faith comes through hearing that word, right? Romans 10 and verse 17. And so there's, there's power even in reciting the word of God, just reading it together. And first Timothy four thirteen, this is what Paul tells Timothy he needs to do. He says, Don't I think he says pay attention um to the reading or give attention to the reading. Let me turn there real quick and just make sure First Timothy four in uh verse thirteen he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to exhortation and to teaching, and do not neglect the gift which you have. And he goes on to talk about the, the prophecy, gift of prophecy, I guess that um, which was given to you by prophecy rather when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So, you know, as he's in- encouraging the young man to to teach and to preach, you know, as he does in Second Timothy that we read just a moment ago, he also says critically, give or devote yourself, the SV says, to the public reading of Scripture. We can't neglect that. You know, sometimes I think the light switch, you know, we kind of flip the light switch when maybe a passage is read that we know that we're familiar with. And, uh, we, you know, we just, yeah, yeah, I I know that instead of, okay, yes, I've heard that before, but I need, you know, but what, what could I possibly be missing? Right. So, you know, flipping the light switch is how we become a, a passive listener, right? That's, that is being dull of hearing, right. Instead of being discerning and active. And, um, even if it is something that we've heard thousands of times before, you know, passages like Second Peter 2 remind us, uh, at least I think it's Second Peter 2, maybe it's Second Peter 1 and verse 12, where Peter says, I, I know you know these things and you're established in the truth. He says, but I'm going to take it upon myself to always remind you before my departure so that after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. And so, you know, he's saying, yes, you know them, you're established in them, but we're going to talk about it anyway, because it needs to be drilled into us so that we can recall it even after our our teachers are gone. And so we have to seek each other out to read the Word, reinforce the Word in our lives, and engage in in fruitful discussion about the Word. Uh, Even if a lot of those discussions are just repackaging. Most of them are going to be repackaging of things we've talked about and discussed hundreds of times before, but we still need it. We need to be nourished on the words of the faith. And so as... Yeah, I think another point that's important to make as we're talking about this is that as we're engaged in these discussions, spiritual discussions, religious discussions, uh, Bible talks, that you know maybe there's some questions that are asked, or maybe the the conversation takes a turn in, in a direction that is not going to be fruitful. And I think that it's, I, I believe it's certainly okay to. To call that out when that happens, and uh, not go down rabbit trails that that ultimately are going to take us anywhere or or help us in any practical way in our obedience to the truth and our knowledge of of the truth. So let me give you an example. What I you know in Luke chapter twenty for for instance, or, or in many other examples wherein Jesus's enemies, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees and other sectarians would come to him and rather than ask questions to you know for growth and for progress or to come to a deeper understanding of who he was and what he was teaching their motive was simply to ask a question to trap him to try and trip him up and make him look foolish or try to confuse him or confuse the people and so it wasn't it wasn't genuine right so they're when but Jesus of course sees through all of this and in Luke chapter twenty, you remember specifically in regard to a question about John's baptism. So they, so they come to Jesus, and they have a question. They say, "By what authority are you doing these things? You know, are you teaching these things?" And I forget what um, specifically he may have just performed in in Luke twenty. And he says, "I'll answer you if you can answer this question." And he says, "John's baptism was it from heaven or was it from men?" And you know, they they don't immediately answer. They 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 huddle together. And they say, well, if we say, they start reasoning amongst themselves, they say, if we say it was from heaven, then Jesus is going to ask, why didn't, why didn't we believe him? Right. Because a lot of the Pharisees, according to Luke chapter seven, says rejected God's purpose for themselves, having not been baptized by, by John. Right. So John was a true prophet sent to baptize by God, prepare, make straight the way for the, uh, for the Lord. And so, they, they realize this, that if they answer in this way, Jesus is going to call them out and expose them <clears throat> in that regard. And then they say, well, if we say it was from men, well, then we're going to invoke the wrath of the people because everybody else, you know, the populace at, at large knew that John was a true prophet. And and so they're caught between this rock and a, and a hard place. Jesus is asking them a simple question, right? But they can't muster the honesty needed to come clean, about who they are and what they think. And so they just say, well, We don't know. And then Jesus says, Well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things either. All right. So their answer go, goes nowhere. Right. They show by their answer that it's not couched in terms of their personal beliefs and what they really think, but they're thinking, uh, you know, uh, politically, what's going to be advantageous for us. How can we be safe? Well, you know, what's the fallout of the answer going going to be? Instead of simply, well, what's the answer? What do I really believe? And let's just come, let come what may. And so, you know, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy again. He does it on many occasions, but here's certainly one example of of doing that. Uh, but also critically, he he just shuts down the conversation. Right. He. Their inability to answer a simple question honestly means that there was no need for further discussion. All right. So just because just because we're engaged in conversations about spiritual things or Bible things doesn't automatically mean all motives are going to be pure. And that comes to light as the conversation moves forward. You know, if we're seeking the praise of men or if we're seeking to justify some behavior, if we're seeking to show how smart we are, or to use religion as a weapon to control others as you know the the Pharisees and other sectarians obviously did religious discussion holds no value we're just spinning our wheels here so that's why it's so important to start with you know as as we did at the top of our discussion uh honest motives right you know if we can't be honest with ourselves we're not going to get anywhere first of all we're not going to make any progress in our own lives. and certainly if we're engaged with someone that has ulterior motives we're not we're not to make progress. Um but it you know we can't decide that from the outset, right? Jesus Jesus gave those guys a chance to come clean. Right? But they just they just couldn't do it. They didn't have the courage or honesty to do it. So and so that's when he shuts down the conversation. So in closing, I just want to look at one uh final passage here in Matthew chapter 15. I think that reinforces you know really the the main point of this whole this whole discussion as you know pe- Jesus was teaching in in parables that was often his preferred way to communicate truth and and teach people about the kingdom of god or the rule of god and how they needed to to respond um it, obviously you know not everyone was willing to listen but he says this in uh, Matthew. I said Matthew 15. What I meant was uh, Matthew 13. I apologize. So, Matthew chapter 13, in the um, around the parable of the solar sower. You know, one of the the questions the disciple has is why do have is why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In verse 11, uh, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one uh, but, from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away, that is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, "You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely uh, excuse me with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart, and I would turn and heal them. So, Jesus here is driving at the central reason why the people who hear the parables don't understand them, and thus aren't willing or are not even able to respond to them. And he says here in verse fifteen, it's because the people's heart has grown dull, right? So that's at the center of this sandwich that he creates. That you know, this prophecy from Isaiah that's talking about the eyes and the ears and the understanding. And then, um, you know, Jesus says, verse 15, their hearts grown dull. And then again, he talks about their eyes, their ears and their understanding. Right. So the central message here is they can't see, they can't hear, they can't understand why verse 15 again, because in their heart, they don't really want to. The fault was theirs. And this is why they closed their eyes. Their heart had become dull. They were stubborn and sensitive people. Not really genuinely interested in, in the truth. And so, thereby, the things of God, even though they were made to understand through these parables, right? Parables are meant to illustrate and, and to make clear, complicated concepts about God's nature and his kingdom and his, and his rule. Uh, but they weren't able to receive that. It, it was actually made more difficult and obscure because they were so willfully and wi- willingly, I guess, ignorant. And that's the point of Jesus' words here, I think, in verses 11 and 12. This is the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he... And Luke's rendering of that phrase is even what he thinks he has will be taken away. In other words, those who desire genuinely spiritual insight and truth, they're going to have it, and they're going to have an abundance. But for the know-it-alls and the prideful and the stubborn who think they have it already, even what they think they have is going to be taken away. You know, and Jesus will describe them as as blind in other places as he does here, uh, and like in Matthew twenty three, describes them as the blind leading the blind. And and I think another important point to take from this text is that in, in verses sixteen and seventeen, when he says, "Blessed are your eyes, for they see; and your ears, for they hear," for truly, a city of many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Um, these men and women were given understanding not miraculously but because they sought the meaning. They wanted to understand. And in this context, in verse 10, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 9, and in Mark chapter 4 and verse 10, they would frequently come to Jesus and they'd say, I don't understand this parable. Explain it to me. And he would. Right. He didn't intend for his teaching to be secret and obscure. Um, quite the opposite. It was going to be delivered to the whole world, Mark 4, 21 through 23, but it was going to be obscured to the people who didn't want to hear it. And that's the amazing thing about the word of God is that as we investigate it, it investigates us. It's it's not only God's means of revealing truth and revealing who he is, but it's also God's means of dividing truth seekers from everybody else. And that's, that's incredible, but it's, it all comes down to what, uh, what my heart is to, to go back to where we began in Ezra chapter seven and verse 10. Remember, Ezra was a man who did what with his heart. He had set his heart to know and understand the law of God, to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Honesty is of utmost importance in honest discourse and discussion about anything, but especially in the spiritual realm. That teaching originates with God. And so I have to ask myself, am am I honest about what I'm seeing and reading in the Word of God? Do Do I truly want to know God's will for my life? And will I have the courage and humility and honesty to apply it even when it comes at a sacrifice for myself and my family? Do I value truth and love truth that much that I'm willing to sacrifice everything else except it? Solomon said, buy the truth and sell it not. I appreciate you tuning in and I look forward to studying with you again. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.